we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. And I have to admit, again, every now and then I come across a passage that I think to myself, how in the world do you preach on this? And yet we know that it's all the word of God. We know that God has put these words into the Bible to help us to learn, to help us grow closer to him, to help us grow more godly in our lives. And as I read this, I started to see more and more how that happens through this passage. It's a very, very ordinary passage. It's one that you probably read many times over, and you kind of just breeze by without thinking twice about it. And it's almost in there by design like that, but it's also in there so that you take a moment and pause and reflect upon it as well. It starts off with a little story about Peter's mother-in-law. Most of the time that a specific person is mentioned and then is uh, proceeded by a healing, you find yourself waiting for the details, wanting to know what's so special, special about this miracle. Does Peter's mother-in-law have leprosy? Was she blind? Did she get run over by a donkey? No, we are told that she had a fever. She was ill, which, by the way, I'm sure that many of you can relate around this time of the year. We uh, had a basketball game yesterday, and half of our team was out because they were sick. So we know what it's like to not be feeling pretty good. Now, it doesn't specify what sort of illness that she had. Uh, there's nothing noteworthy about the identity of this person either. So she's ill and she's not very noteworthy. It's, uh, it's not Peter's wife that we know was a very significant figure. She traveled with him. Rather, it was Peter's mother-in-law. And for some of you, that's enough to turn you off right now. That's enough to make you tune out and be like, all right, whatever, Peter's mother-in-law, I am no longer listening or I'm just, I'm just gonna repass this and not think twice about the fact that Jesus healed Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. What I'm getting at is that she was an ordinary person. So ordinary that the author doesn't even give her, give us her name. And as we wait for the plot to thicken, the story ends. She's healed and begins to behave in a very, very normal sort of way. And instead of any sort of prologue, we're given a series of, forgive me, ordinary miracles that Jesus performed on other people after this event took place. And for instance, casting out spirits and healing the sick. Sounds pretty ordinary for Jesus, right? Okay, maybe that's not the best sell right there because those are not ordinary things. But tell me, how many of you would say that the healing of Peter's mother-in-law is your favorite story in the Bible? No hands, okay. How many have a friend that say, you know what, I just can't stop reading that story about how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law? I, I can't think of anybody that would say they have a friend that would say that either. When storms are being calmed, men are walking on water, and the devil himself is being rebuked by the Son of God, how does Peter's little old mother-in-law fit into this picture? My answer, probably as much as you and me. Before we get into the scripture reading for this morning, let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that there are just such ordinary passages like this and ordinary people, Lord, as we can learn so much from it when we stop and reflect and think about the implications to us. Open our hearts and our ears this morning to be able to receive your word and bless us this morning through it. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, just a couple short verses, 14 through 17. So I'll give you a minute there to flip to Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Matthew 8, 14 through 17. <clears throat> And it reads, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Question. Have any of you here ever seen a magic show? Have you ever seen a magician perform their tricks? It's a remarkable thing to behold, whether it's David Copperfield making your car disappear or Houdini performing one of his impossible escape tricks. There's something captivating about the art of the sleight of hand. And there are times when I watch magic tricks that I can't help but to think that maybe, just maybe, something supernatural is at play here. Have you ever seen a trick that made you question whether or not you are witnessing something amazing. If not, you are in luck because you're about to behold something that's going to make you question the very nature of reality itself. I'm going to put on a live demonstration for you all right before your eyes, so I hope you don't miss it. It's going to happen really, really fast. Okay, so I got a whiteboard here and I am going to write something on it and I'm just going to ask you a quick yes or no question. Does anybody in here know what I am writing on this whiteboard? No. Wow, you people are more gifted than I thought. Look at what I wrote on the whiteboard. You guessed it. So maybe I'm not the magician here. Maybe you all are. <laughs> Silly little illustration, I know. On the same token, it's illustrating a pretty powerful point. You know, sometimes we have a habit of elevating our preachers or the people that serve on staff at a church or, or make just certain people within the congregation who really do a great job at serving the needs of others. But truth be told, as I just demonstrated with that magic trick, <laughs> I'm a human just like all of you and like all of you when i need a miracle i go to god for that and god judges whether or not my request is for his glory if it glorifies his name he will provide a miracle if his glory would be magnified more through withholding divine intervention that's precisely what he's going to do 
What I find amazing is that God enters the lives of ordinary people. He enters the lives of ordinary people to proclaim his grace. He enters the lives of ordinary people to receive his grace. And within our story, we have Peter. Peter, as you know, was a fisherman. We know him now as the Apostle Peter. And his name literally means, means rock. And that's a powerful, powerful name. In fact, there was even a big-time wrestler years back, and actually still kind of on the scene in Hollywood and so forth, whose nickname was The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You're all familiar with him. Very powerful name, if you can smell what I am cooking. Sorry. <laughs> but before Peter received the nickname Peter, wait, <coughs> nickname? Yes, nickname Peter, he was given a different name at his birth. And that was Simon. Simon in Hebrew means to hear or to listen. I mean, think about his role as being a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that a great name for somebody who's supposed to sit and learn and observe and to take in the teachings of his master? Just hear or listen. That's all Simon means. That's pretty amazing. Very good name for a student. Nothing impressive, though. And he was chosen to follow Jesus. He was chosen to listen to his teachings, proclaim the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And eventually he was even granted power to, power to perform incredible miracles. But that all comes later on within his ministry. At the time, the time of this story that we're talking about today, his mother-in-law was healed. Peter wasn't anybody special. She wasn't anybody special. And yet Jesus choosing Peter as a disciple, well, let me rephrase that real fast, the Messiah, the Son of God, choosing Peter of all people to be one of his followers was not something Peter would have expected. Remember his words after Jesus approached him and called him from his fishing boat. Peter said to Jesus, depart from me. I am a sinful man. And yet here we are, Jesus, in a room with Peter's sick mother-in-law. Without even knowing exactly what condition she had or how long she had been struggling with it, Jesus touched her and brought her healing. Matthew, in his writing, made it sound so ordinary. This was not a problem for Jesus. Healing a no-name person was no bother for Jesus. In fact, the funny thing about this story it was how Peter's mother-in-law responded to the healing of Jesus. One moment she's lying in bed, maybe near to death. The next moment she's well again. She gets out of bed, heads to the kitchen, and starts serving Jesus as her guest. I don't know that it was intended to be comical, but when you read it, it kind of is a little bit, right? One moment she's sick, possibly near death. Next moment she's up and she's serving Jesus because that's the first thing that came to her mind is, huh, I have a guest, I better take care of him. A little bit funny, but that's the glory of God shining through her right there. That's how drastic of a change that healing made in her life. What's interesting was that people started to take note after that miracle and started coming to Jesus. 
He could heal just person after person after person. Some were possessed by evil spirits. Others were sick, just like Peter's mother-in-law. They came to him in the evening, and he brought them the healing they sought. Jesus himself, unlike Peter, unlike his mother-in-law, unlike all the other people that were coming to him, Jesus was no ordinary man. Let's move ahead a few years. After these events, we looked at this, the story of Peter and Cornelius last week. We're going to be looking at it again this week. Peter was called by God and summoned by Cornelius to share the good news to the Gentiles. And when Peter arrived at the house of Cornelius, this is what happened. Okay, so Acts 10.25, reading right from the scriptures, Acts 10.25, this is what happens. When Peter entered, get this, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I'm talking about Peter right here. This is what Cornelius did when Peter came to Cornelius. Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. Peter falls down and starts to worship Peter. Why did Cornelius do that? Peter hadn't even done anything yet. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 10, verse 30. Read a little bit from there and see if we can get a little bit more context here. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. You have to understand the culture of the Greeks really to understand what's probably going through Cornelius's mind right here. I don't know who he suspected the man in bright clothing to be. In fact, when I think about it, I, I actually don't really know. I always kind of assumed that it was an angel, but it's possible that it was Jesus himself. For now, we're sticking with the idea that it's an angel because I haven't seen anybody really indicate to me that it's anything other than an angel. Although Cornelius seemed to believe in the God of the Jews, his culture was Greek, okay? So he came from a Greek context. And I would imagine that if a heavenly being revealed to you that he was sending a man to you, your presumption would be that this man was worthy of reverence, maybe even worship. After all, when Caesar came to you, you proclaimed in a tone of worship. Do you know what they would say to Caesar when he came to them? Caesar is Lord. And so they would worship Caesar in that manner when he came to them. In this sense, people declared actually the deity of Caesar. So Peter's response made a lot of sense when this Greek man fell down and started worshiping him. Acts 10.26, Peter said, stand up. I too am a man. He stopped Cornelius and his family in their footsteps. Think about everything Peter had experienced up to this point. He was healing lame people, opening the eyes of the blind, preaching messages that would bring thousands of people at a time to repentance. He was doing the works of no ordinary man. 
We are told that he, as he walked and his shadow, this one always blows my mind, as he would walk and his shadow would pass over people, that they would be healed of their ailments. That's the sort of power that was given to Peter. But when Peter thought back to his days with Jesus, he was humbled. He remembered his calling. When he told Jesus to depart from him, as he was a wicked sinner, Jesus responded, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He remembered back to his mother-in-law and his powerlessness, his own powerlessness to be able to help her at that moment. And all Jesus had to do was to touch her and she was healed. Peter was a man under no sort of delusion. He knew that he truly possessed no power of his own. Rather, the God who created the universe was using him as a vessel to proclaim good news, to give sight to the blind, and provide healing for the hurting. He remembered the time after his mother-in-law was healed when people started bringing their sick and afflicted to Jesus. And like a conveyor belt, one after another after another, Jesus was healing them and releasing them from their afflictions. It humbled him to realize that I too am just a man. There are those who would do well to realize the implications of these words, I too am just a man. I'm sure you've seen them. Some are on TV, some of them are a little more uh, incognito as they have more of local followings per se. They put on big shows and at the end of their performances, you're supposed to say, wow, this is something more than natural. The person on the stage is no ordinary man. Sometimes such people put on shows of miracles. Now and then they'll come across somebody that they can't heal. And never it is it the fault of the performer. It's a lack of faith. If the sick person or the hurt person or the lame or blind person just, just, just had more faith, maybe they could have been helped. Do you believe that? Do you buy into those sorts of ploys? <coughs> Wouldn't that scare you if you were in the position of one of these people just devastated by some sort of ailment and you hear this person can heal you and go before them and you're thinking, man, I hope I have enough faith to be able to be healed by them. This is different than what we see in Jesus. Jesus who said that all you need is a mustard seed of faith. Jesus who granted faith to the one who lacked. God wants us to know that as ordinary as we may be, he still cares. Believe it or not, I've actually had people who've come up to me and asked me the question, Bill, do you really, do you really believe that God cares about my problem? Not kidding. I actually had people come up to me and say, do you think that God really does care about little old me? But when we're honest with ourselves, have you ever felt like that? I know that I have. <laughs> there have been times when I looked around at friends and family who are dealing with colossal issues, and I believe that they need prayer, 
Those are the ones that God needs to be focusing on. And when I have a need arise, sometimes I think this problem just isn't big enough for God. Why would he care about this? Or maybe at times think, you know what? This problem is small enough, <laughs> get this, that I can handle this on my own. <laughs> Before we close out, I want to address this sentiment because we need to understand the cross of Jesus Christ in all of this. Following the healings that Jesus performed, Matthew cited Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, that's familiar with you all, right? Isaiah 53. He wrote, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Have to ask yourself, what, what exactly does this mean? Was Jesus some sort of incubator of illnesses for the people that he healed? Well, no. There's a reason that Matthew cited this passage and put it in this context. All disease and spiritual affliction came into the world because of sin. Isaiah 53 is the song of the suffering servant. And following this verse, we start to learn the cost of following Jesus. And by the verse I'm talking about back in Matthew, after he says that, that it, he was citing Isaiah, that we get into the cost of following Jesus. Furthermore, we are filled in regarding the plight of being the Son of God himself. Jesus was doing amazing things. They were all leading up to the fulfillment of his mission on earth. The forgiveness of sins by his death on the cross. Our afflictions, although they might not be a direct result of our sin, per se, that we have committed, they are a result of the existence of sin in the world. Illness and sin have always been linked. This is why James says within his letter that if we are ill, we ought to confess our sins because it can result in healing. Ordinary people have ordinary problems, but God cares about them all. Although Jesus was no ordinary person, in one manner, he became an ordinary person. And in this mysterious reality, we are to understand the beauty of Jesus as well as take away a lesson. I don't know that I can do it justice to explain this beautiful mystery of God becoming flesh and taking upon our sins and becoming like one of us. But I know somewhere where I can find that can sum it up. And I'm going to close out with these words. It's found in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read to you Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to turn there with me, you may do so. I'll give you a minute to do that. We're going to close out with Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are but ordinary men and women in this place. And when I think of the psalm written by David as he reflects on the majesty of creation and the universe, he then asks the question, who am I that you would consider me? Because you made us just a little lower than the angels, and yet you gave us such authority. Father God, we can very easily wonder the same question, and it does baffle us, even to this day, even after your son's death on the cross, even after his resurrection, even after him giving us eternal life as a free gift, we find ourselves asking, who am I that you would consider me to be your son, to be your daughter, and to be able to experience the blessing of knowing your son, Jesus Christ? Father God, we are ordinary people. You are no ordinary God. And we praise you, Lord, for the works of your hand, for the good that you've done, for bringing us into your family, for forgiving us our sins. Lord God, may it all glorify you. Everything that we do in this place and that we do out of this place, let it all glorify you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.